This is HeartWise, offering practical tips and time-proven guidelines to make your life healthier, happier, and more fulfilling. Today you'll learn simple, Bible-based principles for building and maintaining optimum mental and physical health, all while deepening your relationship with your Creator. I'm your HeartWise host, Charles Mills. For most of us, eating food is a natural, comfortable, enjoyable thing to do. We prepare, we chew, we swallow, we receive the benefits and added energy, and also, depending on the food choices, the good health of what we just ate. End of story. But there are those among us whose story doesn't have such a happy ending. Food to them is something far different, something sometimes sinister and often health-destroying. Our guest today interacts with those individuals on a regular basis. Tammy Beasley is Vice President for Clinical Nutrition Services at a place called Castlewood, and we'll learn more about that in just a moment. Tammy, welcome to HeartWise. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, let's begin with the basics. What separates those of us with an eating disorder and those of us who don't have one? That's a great question. I think a simple answer would be when the separation comes when food takes on a much deeper meaning Mm. than just nourishment of the body. Mm -hmm. An eating disorder is, quote, all about the food, but actually nothing about the food. Food is a symptom. How food is used or not used is a symptom of underlying complicated issues that are occurring. Now, when you say food is the symptom, are there other things that can be equally symptomatic as far as the underlying conditions are concerned? Knowing that eating disorders really have taken on a biological, psychological, and social combination, their biopsychosocial disease state. Mm-hmm. Underlying issues that are entwined with anxiety, with depression, with obsessive compulsive disorder, perhaps with trauma related events, perhaps with relationships. It really is is very complicated and every individual is unique. We know that there's a strong genetic base. Hmm. There's genetics, but then there's something in the environment that will trigger those genetics to activate. And that's what we are learning even more about with the connection of the brain and how that is deeply connected with the eating disorder behaviors. Just understanding all the studies that have been done with, for example, twins that perhaps were adopted. And if the parents have an eating disorder, do the twins have the eating disorder if there's not that biological connection? And they're finding that really the biology plays a very strong role and can actually override the environment and vice versa. So if we are genetically predisposed to have this problem and our environment supports it, we're pretty well, might as well know that we're going to have an eating disorder. Is there any way of identifying the fact that a person has an eating disorder before they become symptomatic? Is, is there any way of saying, you know, you're a likely candidate for an eating disorder because? How would you answer the because? Because there's a family history, Mm -hmm. because we know that eating disorders do not discriminate. We no longer think it's simply a female, Caucasian, Mm. certain socioeconomic status classification. 
it crosses all lines, definitely does not discriminate. But I do know that prevention efforts are strong, and that's where the hope lies in being able to share the message of prevention and help individuals that may have, say, a family history, that may have the personality tendencies of anxiety or depression or, like I mentioned, obsessive-compulsive traits, those individuals, I think, could be more aware that they are prime for it, Mm -hmm. especially if they know that anyone in their family has struggled with disordered eating in some way. I think we could do some preventive work. And just like we know with substance abuse, if you know there's a family history of it, you know that you are more susceptible. So knowing that before it actually gets entrenched, you could possibly make different choices. And that's where I think the work we know with the brain, we can actually prepare ourselves and be ready for those triggers that can come, knowing that our media certainly bombards us with messages of, you know, beauty is this, and often it's a very unattainable beauty, and it doesn't recognize our unique differences. That's one example. So I think being more aware of those triggers can help, definitely. Why is it, Tammy Beasley, in your work there at Castlewood, the uh, eating disorder treatment centers, why is it that so many people with eating disorders tend to make unhealthy food choices when they do eat. Well, actually, it's both sides. Really? It depends on the type of eating disorder that you have. The greatest increase in concerning disordered eating is in the clean eating movement. Really? Which takes probably a foundation of health and then takes it too far. Mm. That is when... I've seen this happen over and over. Actually, orthorexia is not a classified eating disorder yet, but I would not be surprised in two or three years that you find it in the diagnostic manual. What happens is when good intentions of eating healthy, of, you know, eating more fruits, more veggies, Mm -hmm. things like that, eating more, quote, clean, takes on almost a religious, Mm -hmm. moral level of choices where you become better than, you become more pure, you become almost imprisoned by the inability to eat anything that is not, for example, organic, that is not farm-grown, that is not fresh strawberries and broccoli. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a real issue. And then, of course, another type of eating disorder is one in which the loss of control around eating. And that's what you're talking about when you think of things like those very sweet, high, enticing donuts, cookies. You tend to think of those things, French fries, the things that are highly palatable and very enjoyable in the sense of sweets and fats and they go down easy. It's often to think of those foods as those that we tend to lose control over and that is actually another type of eating disorder. So it really goes from one end to the other end in extremes and how it can be reflected in each individual. Well, like you said, then, it's, it's really not the food. It's our attitude toward the food. Am I on the right track? Yes, you are. Okay. It's really the attitude around it. What is it doing for you? Is it a way of escaping? 
which could be the loss of control and the problem or the stress or the emotions that you're encountering are too much, so it's easy to distract and to fill the holes that those emotions are creating with food. Mm -hmm. And that's when the foods that are easy to go down, that we might consider what the world would define as the junk food, as the excess, those are filling a void. They're distracting and they're comforting the hole that's really there from a relationship or an emotion or something in your life that is causing pain that's too difficult to really face. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then the other hand, foods like super clean, organic foods become a way that perhaps you can control Mm -hmm. your world when you may feel out of control in other ways. Or it allows you to feel that you have the ability to resist the world's temptation. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does. It does. It's the attitude toward the food. Of course, we hope that people, when they have an attitude toward the food, will come back from that uh, with, with better food choices because, you know, we can make good choices, we can make bad choices. Now, as the Vice President for Clinical Nutrition Services there, are, are you sort of on board with trying to get people to eat healthier foods when they do and when they adjust their attitude? In other words, when they come out of the center, are they making better food choices than when they went in? Therein lies the issue. And Castlewood Treatment Centers is unique in that when foods are labeled good and bad, what happens with our clients is they label themselves good or bad because of simple food. And the reality is, Carbohydrates, proteins, fats are really all carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen complexes. The body sees them as different variations of a chain of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. For protein, you just throw in a little nitrogen. That's what makes it unique. But what's happened with our clients is it's, again, become a statement of their worth, of who they are. It's taken on a much bigger meaning than food was intended to be. It's overtaken their thoughts. It's overtaken their relationships. It often alienates them from having a good relationship with their friends or unable to eat at different restaurants because of the food choices that maybe they feel like they can't control enough or they don't spend time with families anymore at holidays because It's too scary. They feel like they can't control. So really, we're trying to to take away the judgment around all foods and help clients as they heal and learn what the underlying issues are that are triggering their coping mechanisms through the use of foods in some way. As that begins healing, we're also trying to heal the messages and judgment around foods. It's interesting when you neutralize foods where there's no longer a good, bad list, it gives so much freedom. Mm -hmm. And what happens is then you're able to make choices from a very neutral place. And sometimes your choices may be very emotional. There are times where I may decide, you know, I don't want the brownie and ice cream right now. What I really think I want is an apple and peanut butter. You know, it just, again, it allows no judgment, but allows you to make the choices knowing how different fuel combinations, food combinations are going to feel. And some will last longer with energy. Some will, some will be shorter. And there's a time and a place for both. I think when the judgment is removed, 
And food is just kind of placed on its role as part of life, but not all of life. That's where the healing begins. We're trying to take the judgment away and help them reestablish a healthy relationship with food in that relationship, which then allows them to make choices based on just a neutral place and a healthy relationship versus a feeling that if I have this food, I'm going to I'm going to be better versus having this food because food does not really belong as the moral judgment of whether you're a good or bad person. Oh, very, very good. That's our message. Very, very good. Tammy Beasley, she is Vice President for Clinical Nutrition Services at a place called Castlewood. We'll learn a little bit more about that treatment center. On our return, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, Tammy, in a conversation I had with you earlier, we talked about how in order to move from an eating disorder to a little more or normalcy in the life, we need to rewire the brain. How in the world are we supposed to rewire the brain? And we'll learn more about that on our return. So everybody stay right where you are. I hurt my knee a few years ago and have considerable inflammation. Any suggestions? I'm Dr. James Markham here with your biblical prescription for life. Let's look at Mark 15, 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what the things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall receive them. So prayer is a crucial ingredient for any aspect of our health. Other things that might help from the Bible, rest, water, nutrition, physical therapy, Inflammation can respond to things like ginger, almonds, and walnuts. If this helps, great. If not, a short term of medication might be needed. Well, the biblical prescription I want to start with for all health issues is a biblical prescription of prayer and believing in the healing power of God. If you have more questions, go to our website. That's heartwiseministries.org. Heartwise with Charles Mills is brought to you by supporters of Heartwise Ministries. We are so grateful to be able to follow Christ's example of caring for others' physical needs and then encouraging them to experience a restorative relationship with our Heavenly Father. God intended for life on earth to be immeasurably better than the world we live in today, and He wants to restore His vision for this world one heart at a time. Consider becoming a HeartWise partner and help others catch the vision of what Christ wants to do in their hearts today by visiting us online at heartwiseministries.org. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Charles Mills. Our guest today, Tammy Beasley. She is Vice President for Clinical Nutrition Services, a place called Castlewood. Eating Disorder Treatment Centers, where are these centers, Tammy, and where can people learn a little bit more about you and your work? Castlewood Treatment Centers have three locations. We have a residential treatment center, which is a higher level of care, where clients who really need that 24-7 support can go. We have St. Louis, Missouri, and we also have a partial hospitalization program and an intensive outpatient program there. And those are different levels of care that as you heal and get stronger, we are giving you more autonomy as you step down the levels of care. Mm-hmm. We have those same levels of care in Monterey, California, and we have 
a partial hospitalization program and an intensive outpatient program in Birmingham, Alabama, which is the state that I live in, which you may or may not can tell if I happen to have an accident or not. <laughs> Just a little. I've been told I do. My y'alls come out kind of frequently. Yes, they do. And we will be opening a residential treatment center in Birmingham in late September, so we're very excited about that. All right. You can find out more about Castlewood Treatment Centers through our website, www.castlewoodtc.com. All right, very good. CastlewoodTC.com. Tammy Beasley is our guest today. Okay, Tammy, you said when I was talking to you earlier about doing this program, you said, you know, sometimes we need to rewire the brain. How do we go about rewiring our brain when it comes to what we put in our mouth? That is such a great question. I love the way you stated that. If I could capsulize that in five or ten minutes, both of us could run away and become very wealthy. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. It's a complicated process, but the beautiful message is that you really can rewire the brain. The brain is fascinating. We know that it's the organ that your body protects at all costs. Um, We also know that it's malleable, that what we didn't realize before, we know that the brain can literally lose gray volume in the restriction aspect If you are starving your body, you're starving your brain, and we lose brain matter. So we discovered that you can actually heal and restore the brain matter, but above and beyond that, you can actually create new patterns of behavior, and that's what's called rewiring the brain. If you've heard anything about Hebb's law or neuroplasticity, Hebb's law is neurons that fire together, wire together. So just like negative habits that hurt you, the more often those are repeated, it's like a path gets wired into your brain and becomes like a default pathway. We can actually use that same principle to create a new pathway. It takes a commitment, but it's possible. And that's the piece that I love. That's the message I love sharing. So when we do something bad over and over again, it becomes easier to do it over and over again because we rewire the brain for bad. But conversely, if we do something good over and over again, if we make a right choice over and over again, even though we may not uh, at, at the beginning really want to do that choice, but if we keep doing it, it becomes easier over time and we've actually literally rewired the brain. Am I right? That is right. That's correct. Where I really love to live right now in the message I share with clients that we share at Castlewood is the understanding that if you can visualize a flood, just visualize a flood, like a massive flooding just roaring along, when the brain is flooded by emotions connected to, say, food, for example, or a relationship or a habit, when it's flooded by emotions, you cannot even think about rewiring but think about when you put a floodgate up and you hold back that emotional flooding there is when you can begin the rewiring process so if you think about even a city that's being flooded and you know floodgates are put up or sandbags are put out and they're holding the flood back so that you can find a pathway out that's the analogy, I really love using analogies. That's the analogy I share with clients. What can we use as a floodgate to hold the emotions back so we can begin 
practicing a new way of doing this same habit, if that makes sense. And some of the floodgates that I will share with clients that help in the process, say, for example, if binging, the out-of-control eating, is something that you're working to recover from, holding the emotions back, the first floodgate would be meal timing, Mm -hmm. making sure you don't go long hours between eating during the day. That is an automatic setup that the binge is going to physiologically occur. You can't, willpower is just a non-issue at this point. Mm -hmm. So a floodgate really would be, okay, I'm going to commit to eating something within an hour of getting up. I'm going to commit to eat every three to four hours during the day, even if I binged last night and I'm feeling very guilty about that this morning. The floodgate is the timing. And what that does is just buy some time that the emotions can stay pushed back and you can begin putting a new pattern down over time so that as you progress, the flood gets lower and lower and lower. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I like that. You're, you're saying just don't jump into the deep end. You're saying make these little changes, add these little things to your lives. I mean, that, that is marvelous how you're saying that we need to make the changes one step at a time. Is there another step that most of us could take easily starting today that could help us on this, on this road back to recovery from eating disorders? Yes, I think that timing is huge. Second to that would be, it sounds simple, but balance and variety in your choices. But what we know, what research has told us with those that struggle with binge eating is that protein in your meals on a consistent basis actually reduces the desire to binge. Hmm. It stabilizes the blood sugars throughout the day because protein consumed with carbohydrates and fats actually help slow down the release of the sugars that are going to come from the digestion of the carbohydrates. So actually meal timing, eating consistently through the day and balancing protein, which is often overlooked, but adding protein on a frequent basis throughout the day if you struggle with binge eating will actually create another floodgate that helps hold back the flooding process of just the feeling of loss of control, the emotional flooding as well, and allow your body to begin repatterning its entire appetite-based communication system. Well, listener, we've given you a glimpse here into what they are doing there at Castlewood Treatment Centers. And our guest today, Tammy Beasley, is the uh, Vice President for Clinical Nutrition Services at Castlewood. There's a lot more, of course, and uh, you can learn more about that at castlewoodtc.com. If you're interested in this topic, we actually, Dr. Nicole Secret, who's the Chief Clinical Officer, and myself, we actually did a webinar last week on this. And it should be up on the website. And it's called Brain-Based Treatment for Binge Eating. So if you want to know more, I would recommend going to our website and clicking on webinars. And if you have an hour to spare, give a listen. All right.
website. As Paul Harvey would say, you will hear the rest of the story. CastlewoodTC.com <laughs> is the website. Check that out. Tammy Beasley, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing these words of wisdom and guidance. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed spending the time with you. Have a great day. You too. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Tammy Beasley inviting you to remain hurtwise. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on HeartWise. If you'd like more information on how to build and maintain optimum physical, mental, and spiritual health, log on to heartwiseministries.org. HeartWise is a listener-supported program, and your partnership with us would be greatly appreciated. Once again, our web address is heartwiseministries.org. Music